96 down, 269 to go. My name is Chris. This is At A Theater Near Me, the podcast where I go to the movie theaters every single day for an entire year. Today, I'm going to be talking about the movies Vertigo and Nitram, as well as my trip to New Orleans. I also have a guest with me. I'll bring him on right now. Uh, hello, Manners. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. It's good to be on a podcast to talk about a 65-year-old movie and another Australian movie that no one's seen. So another good instincts by you. Who better to talk about these exciting and exhilarating topics than you, Manners? Um, so I, I went to New Orleans. I just got, I just got back, but uh, obviously we're a little late here. Uh, but I, I want to talk about my trip to New Orleans. You said you've been to New Orleans before, though. Did you, did you enjoy yourself there? Yes, I had a great time there. I was there a couple of years ago on holiday, just actually a couple, yeah, before COVID, and it was brilliant. Yeah, I was nervous a little bit with this trip. Um, just like flying, you're, so much is out of your control. So we got a pretty early morning flight just in case there was some sort of weird delay or disaster happening. And then like we flew JetBlue, and here in America, like JetBlue uh, flights have been getting canceled left and right. So I was definitely a little bit nervous. Um, but no, no problem. I mean, got the airplane at 6 a.m., was in New Orleans by nine and I went to go see uh, Nitram that, that afternoon with zero issues. Um, and New Orleans is fantastic. I loved it. I'll get more into that, at, you know, the next couple episodes here. But as far as like my worry of like traveling, it, it was pretty, pretty relaxed, honestly. The, the, uh, we'll see what I have a few more trips planned this year. We'll see how that plays out with me possibly getting fucked over by one of these airlines. I don't know. Um, but at least it didn't happen here. Um, I do want to talk about the Britannia theaters that I went to. Um, these theaters are incredible. Uh, the first one I went to was the one I saw Nitram at. This, this was in a mall. Um, and it had uh, floor to ceiling LED lights, which is pretty cool. Um, and like in the hallway. And it was it was a, just a real nice modern feel. Uh incredibly small capacity. Like obviously like, you know, men has made the joke up top, like no one's seen or probably even heard of Nitram. So that's not going to be in their biggest um, cinema, but there was like 24 seat capacity, which I don't, we don't have here typically in New England, a, you know, a theater quite that small. Um, the other theater I went to was the Britannia theater uh, uptown, which is, that's their classic one that was built in 1914. That's where I saw vertigo. That theater was one of the greatest theaters I've been to on this trip. Uh, I, I was just completely blown away by, uh, how it mixed the history and tradition of like those old movie houses, but it was immaculate. It was so well cared for. I guess hurricane Ida had blown in uh, six, a few months earlier and destroyed part of the cinema. And they just reopened a couple weeks ago. So that was a really great experience. Um, Manners, what, what are your favorite like theaters in Australia that you go to? Do you like the old classics? Do you like more modern? What, what, what do you go to when you're hitting those theaters up? I'm a big screen guy. If I'm going to go to the movies, I want to see a big modern, see the film on a, a big modern screen, great sound. You know, I'm a VMAX guy. I don't know if you have VMAX in the States. We don't. What's that? You know, the massive screen. Is that like IMAX? Screen. It's between a normal screen and IMAX. It's okay. like an in-betweener. So my theory is if you're going to go to the movies, I hate going to the movies and you get some shilly little screen and you're like, I could have watched this at home. Um I'm wondering though, like, did you take much of these movies in? Because New Orleans, there's booze everywhere. You can like buy cocktails and walk around the streets with frozen daiquiris and stuff. I mean, you must have loved it there. Get up in the morning, cocktails while you're walking around. Oh, I'm, I'm feeling it. Like I, I told Mendes before we started taping, like I'm hurting. Like a week in New Orleans, like definitely, definitely, uh, hit, you know, I, I'm paying, I'm paying the price uh, today, tonight. Uh, we're taping this pretty late here on Monday. Um, yeah, no, I mean, the, 
the New Orleans life is amazing. But like I say, I don't drink during the day. So I made sure to catch matinees and uh, I was golden. Yeah. And New Orleans, I was really pleasantly surprised. They have a lot of theaters that play really unique movies. So it wasn't hard. I didn't, I was worried. I'm like, oh my God, am I going to go through all these blockbusters? I didn't know what kind of movie selection they have. But New Orleans has such great art, like whether it be movies or music or everywhere around is such a unique, cool place. And the movies represented that too. So um, I was really happy and uh, it helped with my, my 20 and 30 I'm doing um, where I'm seeing different theaters and I didn't feel like I chalked, I used up a lot of movies that I need to hear. Um, but no, I didn't drink until after the movies were over. Uh, I went to a theater I'll talk about next episode that was a bar slash theater. So they had a whole bunch of drink options. So I, I mean, I definitely was enticed, but I... I, I I held my ground. I was a good boy. Um, well done. Thank you. Uh, let's talk Vertigo. Um, this is Alfred Hitchcock. Some say masterpiece. A lot of people say it's his greatest film. It's in the AFI top 10 all time. Uh, I don't particularly love this movie. I think it's okay. And, and I get a lot of dirty looks when I say that. Do you? How do you feel about Vertigo? I feel a few things. Firstly, I mean, this right now is what drives me nuts about listening to your podcast. Uh, you know, I've been so critical on my podcast about Adathede in me, the format. Now, you know, we, we're talking about a movie that's 65 years old. I mean, do, do anyone, does anyone really need to hear more on Vertigo now? Chris, shouldn't this Adathede in me podcast about be, about, be about your experience of going every day? I mean, this must be the 50th time you've seen Vertigo. Uh, I think it's the fourth. Um, I, I like talking about old movies. Um, if people don't, then you know that's that's their business. I mean, Quantum Week. I mean, that's all we did. Um, I enjoy that. I enjoy talking movies, and that's that's what I like to do. So that's why I do it here. But when did you see this? Like years ago? I mean, you've you've pulled the wool over the listeners' eyes. You pre-recorded all these episodes. You're not saying the days. Now. Oh, here we go. Is this going to be a whole meta Listen- thing now? All right. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. No, I, I brought you out to talk about the movies. We can do this if you want. That's fine. Um, I, just want, I just wanted to ask you because it would be disingenuous of me yeah. not to ask you what's going on. I I saw the movie. Uh, I was on Wednesday, I think, uh, in New Orleans, right? Uh, it was my second day in New Orleans I saw it. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's the fourth time I've seen it. Uh, I saw it when I was a little kid, uh, when I was, uh, I think, eight or nine. And I saw it a couple times as an adult. I keep trying to get myself to love it because everyone just raves about it. And I, I just can't bring myself to do it. But uh, but you want to talk about the show, it sounds like, more than the movie. So I guess we'll do that. Well, I want to talk about both. I've got some hot vertigo takes. Do you want me to go there first? Well, we can probably talk about the movie. It's usually what we do here. I mean, you, you can talk, okay, you can talk about all, the, talk about all the things you want to complain about on your show. Already. What? I said you can talk about all the things you want to complain on your show. I brought you on here to talk about some of the okay. movies. All right. So I... I've seen Vertigo many times. Halfway through this viewing, in protest, I turned it off because I was like, what the hell am I watching this movie for? Again. But I've seen it a lot. I did film studies at uni and that was one of them. A couple of things jumped out at me in this rewatching. There's a very creepy scene where James Stewart rescues Kim Novak from the water and all of a sudden she wakes up naked in bed and there's this kind of, I don't know, illusion or sort of, I don't know, you're sort of wondering what the hell did he do like if a girl falls in the water and you rescue her, you don't just take all the clothes off and throw her in bed, do you? No, it's a great point. And Jimmy Stewart, he's so, he's so likable that he gets like, just because of his personality, he gets away with a lot in this movie, but that's totally a creep, bizarre move. And this guy does these creepy, bizarre moves through the entire movie. So at least the character is consistent. This guy's a bad person. Um, and, but because it's Jimmy Stewart, you want to, or at least I know myself, I, I'm a huge Jimmy Stewart fan. So I keep wanting to like him. Um, but you really shouldn't. And that's a really bizarre thing. Uh, you're absolutely right, Menace. And also, I don't think Jimmy Stewart would be a star now. Like 
he he's a good actor, but I, I think he's definitely of his time. Like I think some stars you could put in any era and they would do well. I don't think he's one of them. He looked a bit pathetic to me in this film, which I know is kind of tied up in the role, but he just didn't exude superstar to me. Oh, I disagree. I mean, Tom Hanks has had a pretty similar career where it starts off kind of on lighter films. And, and Sewer was in so many different eras of movies. You have the Capra stuff in the 30s and 40s, and then he moves on to the Hitchcock stuff, those dark movies in the 50s, and he has Westerns in the 60s. He can do it all. I thought he could do it all. I, I think Jimmy Stewart's one of those guys that I think you could pop anywhere and it would work because he's done so many different types of films. Um, and like I said, Tom Hanks is probably the, the easiest comp there. Actually, that was the one I had. I was sort of thinking, who does... Jimmy Stewart, you know, seem like, and he's a bit like Tom Hanks. It's not that Jimmy Stewart's not a good actor, but I just think he's just a bit sort of, as I said, he just doesn't have a sort of lot of presence in this film. Well, I think you're, you use the word pathetic, and I think that's a great word because that's exactly what this character is. And it's important that we, because we're not used to seeing Jimmy Stewart be pathetic. I mean, in Rear Window, obviously, he's got a broken leg and he's sort of helpless, but he's not a pathetic person. This guy is a pathetic, like he's a pathetic soul. Um, so uh, I think that's a really fair take. Uh, Kim Novak, this is obviously her most famous performance. At one point, she was one of the biggest stars in Hollywood, kind of walked away um, earlier on in her career, just got tired of it. Um, I think she's good in this, especially in the dual role. Oh, by the way, we're going to talk spoilers here. So if you haven't seen Vertigo, like Semenis said, it's 65, like go watch it. And you can even shut off halfway like Menace does apparently. And, uh, but Kim Novak is, um, quite, is quite good here in that other role. But I think in the primary role, I, I, I don't think, I, I don't know. I think like Grace Kelly or, uh, even Tippi Hedren in the birds was doing more interesting stuff than Novak does. I thought Midge was actually a better character, and I think that actress is fantastic. I can't remember her name. I did. Look yeah, Barbara Bell Geddes. Did you ever watch Dallas? Yeah, yeah I did a little bit. Yeah. She played like the mom in Dallas, mm. um, and uh, and she had a really interesting career. Uh, she's done a lot of like, she, you know, she did. Uh, she in with she was with Marlon Brando. Uh, she's done a lot of bizarre, uh, and not bizarre, but interesting stuff. Like she's a very good actress, where she could do a lot of different things. I'm sorry, Cat in a Hot Tin Roof. Um, she's very good. And I think that character is really interesting and has a real darkness that I wish they had spent more time on. Um, I agree with you there as well. Any other Vertigo hot takes, Menners? Not really. It was just a long movie. For an old movie to go over two hours, I watched the 1984 kind of remastered version and it looks beautiful. Like, I can distill everything down into one sentence. If you haven't seen Vertigo, you should definitely go back and watch it because it does actually hold up. Like I don't think it's – I'd seen it a lot, so I was sort of sick of it. But if you haven't seen it, it's one you should put on your list. Yeah, I agree. They have the 75 millimeter remaster they did. It looks amazing. Um, but my biggest problem with Vertigo, I think, is the ending. Um, you know, the idea that she – kind of falls or jumps. I know it's kind of supposed to be left to our imagination, but just cause like a weird shadowy figure is there. I, I doesn't, it doesn't quite add up to me. I, I think it's, I think if he had just pushed her, I would have embraced that so much more. And maybe they couldn't do that because of the time you had the motion pictures code. Uh, obviously it's the fifties. You can't, you can't do what you can do now. Um, so maybe he would have pushed her if it was made now, but I think they kind of, I don't know, Hitchcock kind of, I don't know, chickened out there at that end. I, I don't, I, I kind of hate the ending actually. Yeah, I agree. It's not a strong ending. All right. So that's Vertigo. So, right, so let's talk about some of the gripes you have with the show. So what, what, what's, what are your other problems with the show, Manners? 
I, I just think that you've done the first three or four months doing it in your format. I think it's now time to be adventurous. Try and do more on on site recordings, try and do more stuff that's natural, that's not you in your house reflecting on a movie you've seen a week ago. I mean, now you're just like any other bloody movie podcast. I mean, you've lost your air of originality because of your lack of, um, I guess, initiative or lack of adventure. Now, I understand from a recording point of view why you're nervous, but my advice to you would be you can go in the field and record stuff, and if it doesn't work out or you lose it, you've still got your little home set up where you can go back and record. So there's nothing lost by trying being a bit adventurous. Like let's hear from people in the movie center, talk to the people taking the tickets, ask the con- concessions lady um, stuff, you know, stuff that's going to be fun. Get to, Bring some more characters into your show. Like, you know, when you go back to the bloody same theater for the 50th time this year, let's get their reaction. Yeah, I I definitely do want to do some stuff remote. Like, for instance, like just having the mic on the plane or at the airport and, you know, kind of exhibiting my nervousness there. That I agree with. I don't like asking a concession person, you know, questions about their work like that to me. That's not something I'm going to do. Let's be honest. Like I'm asking the ticket taker like, hey, how's that, you know, how's the ticket taking business working out today? Like, that's not really, I I don't know. I, I, I think A, it's kind of an invasion of privacy to some extent while somebody's just trying to work. And B, it's also... I don't think very compelling, but there are some things that are compelling. Like for instance, you know, if I'm driving or from late for a movie or just being able to have that ability. So I, I do agree with exactly. that to some extent. And I, I am getting more and more comfortable doing this. Um, as far as being a week late, um, obviously I went away. Uh, hopefully I'll be caught up. Um, that's not ideal. Um, but, uh, that was just the nature of the beast. But, uh, unfortunately the thing I record on is not huge is you can bring it places. Certainly in a car, I could bring it places. Um, but on a plane, it's kind of a pain in the ass. I don't know. Um, but I, but you mentioned there is like a a mic you can put like on, like a, on your, uh, on your lapel or something and walk around. Yeah. You can buy portable recorders. You can buy little mics to plug into your iPhone that are fantastic, that give really good quality. And then you just, I don't know what you edit your podcasting, but you just send the audio in there and you cut it up like anything else. So offline, I don't want to turn this into a, a boring Andy Mayo type podcast. So I'll doing a good job. run you through any, any technical stuff. Happy to help. And the other thing is I've got a challenge for you. So you've done 20 for 30, you've done concessions month, you've done budget month. How about you just say from next month, try and record every day and release an episode every day, a short episode reacting to the film you saw that day. Try and make it more present so people feel like they're on this journey with you rather than there's some boring NPR guy talking about movies. Well, I said, I think I said online, if, if we can get a sponsor to uh, sponsor the month and I'll have the, uh, and we can sell those ads for 30 shows or 31 shows in May, then I will gladly do that. Um, but, but That's my challenge, Chris. Sure. That's, what I, well, that's hope, my next step. Let's hopefully sponsors step up and we can do that. Um, speaking of sponsors, someone who has stepped up is Saints 413. Do you have a collection of sports cards sitting in your basement collecting dust? Have you ever wondered what your binders full of baseball cards are worth? Are you a fan of sports cards or heard of the recent boom in the sports card industry? Now is the time to reach out to Alex with Saints 413 and cash in on your collection. Alex specializes in all aspects of the sports card industry, from buying, selling, trading, grading, and even running box breaks. Alex has been in the sports card industry for over 15 years and has bought and sold hundreds of thousands of dollars in sports cards from the start of the pandemic. This uh, industry has completely taken off, so don't put it off any longer. 
reach out to Alex to help you cash in. And if you're already on the sports card trading bandwagon, Alex runs multiple box breaks each week with the latest and best products through his eBay store at Saints413. He also has a YouTube channel at Saints413 Breaks. That's Saints413, all one word, breaks. He even has an NFL box breaks ending today and tomorrow. So for more information on how you can sell your cards for some side cash and get help navigating through the sports card industry, reach out to Alex at saints413breaks at gmail.com or through his eBay store at saints413. He would love to hear from you. All right, man. So the real reason I brought you on wasn't to have you bitch about my show or talk about Vertigo. I wanted to talk to you about uh, Night Train. And... Okay. Well, this, this was a great film and also really interesting for me to watch because it's about... Martin Bryant, the very infamous serial, uh, not serial killer, mass shooting murderer in um, Australia. So uh, good choice on this one. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you quickly about my experience watching this. And then um, I definitely want to hear Europeans because you're a lot more knowledgeable on this topic than I am. Uh, so first off, it's a um, tremendously disturbing film. It's also incredibly well made. The performances are so good, and that ad, that's why it's so disturbing. Is And this is also brilliantly directed. Um, this is a really exceptional film uh, directed by Justin Curzel. Uh, Kay, uh, Caleb Landry Jones plays uh, Martin. Um, so I didn't... I, I, when, I, when there's movies that are I don't know any about, I haven't seen any trailers, I go in completely blank. I try not to do any research ahead of time because I want to be able to just experience it firsthand without any sort of you know weird commercial uh, overlay over my experience. So I didn't know this was about... I, didn't know what, I had no idea what this was about. I didn't even know it was Australian until I, until I was watching it. And um, I knew of this story. This, uh, this story is big in America. Uh, a lot of anti-gun activists use this story to basically show how if you take guns away or limit certain gun sales, crime does go down. So uh, especially after like the Newtown shooting here in the States, a lot of people pointed to the story, but I didn't really know the details of it, honestly. And watching it unfold, I had no idea what I, I, I just thought, I thought it could even be like I said, a, a fictional movie. I had no idea what this was. And it is so disturbing and sad. But it's also done in such a non-dramatic way, almost like matter of fact, like here's what happened. Here's this person who is increasingly more and more terrifying to the point where the end of the movie is one of the scariest people I've ever seen in film. Um, so we're, and it, you know, so obviously once it was over, I went and researched a lot of it and it was just, just captivated by the story and, and obviously just, you know, it was chilling. Um, but this movie is, I thought so effective. So you thought it was effective too. Obviously you're, you're much more familiar with the story than I am. This hit home for you. Yeah, so I guess we're going in with, on the complete opposite end of the scale. So in 1996, Martin Bryant massacred 35 people um, with semi-automatic rifles in Tasmania. And so I knew that. And it's obviously the the biggest uh, mass shooting by a single, single um, gunman in Australian history. So it's a story we all know. So I, I knew what the ending was. So I'm sort of coming at it from a different perspective. And I found Caleb Landry Jones's performance incredible to the point where it was almost uncomfortable watching at times. Like I couldn't look at him because I knew what was coming as well. So obviously I had in the back of my head where it was going, but he was so um, cap. He was, I don't know. He was so, he was able to just inhabit this crazy person's character so well. It was a, a jaw dropping performance. He does it in a, I love how he's not, he doesn't do too much of it. I mean, obviously this is a, this is a, maybe not a great comp because it's a fiction movie, but like Silence of the Lambs. Anthony Hopkins is amazing as Hannibal Lecter, right? But he's, he's you know, he's chewing the scenery off the walls. Like he's, he's having, 
you know, to some element, fun with it. He's doing, he's, he's really overacting at times, but it's, it's enjoyable, the whole thing. Uh, but with this, where he's playing an, an actual horrible person and he does it in such a way that it, it felt real. Like it felt like someone you could meet, but would never want to. Like there's scenes where he's in the car uh, with his, um, I don't know how to describe the relationship they have, but uh, his boss slash romantic interest to some extent. It's a strange relationship, but he would grab the steering wheel as he thinks it's a funny joke, but while the car is going quite fast, it's incredibly dangerous and ends up leading to, to her dying. And, um, but like every moment you're around him, you just feel like he's going to like basically grab the steering wheel and like do something terrible. And I said, this is, I'm watching this with, I didn't know the ending, uh, for most of the movie. I figured it out about 20 minutes left, but for most of the movie, I'm like, this guy is just can do anything at any time. And, um, but you know, halfway through, I'm like, I really don't like even being around this person at all. Like, I don't like watching this person on screen. I don't like this person just rubs me the wrong way, which is exactly what the real Martin Bryant did to people. Uh, I guess his mother was told a number of times how he would alienate people. Um, and, uh, and how he could never have a job cause he would just annoy people too much. And to have Caleb Landry Jones do that in two hours, make you feel that way is so impressive. And then Judy Davis was as playing his mom is unreal uh doing it she's so cold but yet you also kind of understand where she's coming from it's an amazing performance yeah i thought the performances by all the cast were exceptional so judy davis is one of australia's greatest actors she's um just fantastic in everything she does she's been in films with clean eastwood hugh grant and she just was Fantastic. I thought Anthony LaPaglia, um, he, the, the father, was excellent. He's actually an Emmy Award winner um, in the States. He's done a lot of TV shows over there. And I thought he was just made you feel so sympathetic towards him. I mean, I thought he just was fantastic. And um, Essie Davis, um, Helen, was just terrific performances. I love the way they kind of gave you little insights, like when um, – they're at the psychologist or psychiatrist and you sort of see how it's kind of slipping through the system here. They've got a, you know, pretty average psycho psychologist, you know, just giving him antidepressants, but clearly he needed more than that. And you also have that plot line with the, the B and B, the air, the bed and breakfast, um, Steve Robinson style where, um, you know, there's that disappointment with that. And I thought they just told those stories perfectly. I agree completely. Um, the parents, the father's a more, he's a more softer touch than the mom is, you know, LaPaglia is playing it. Um, he, he's, you know, the mom's probably the, the bad cop in that relationship with the parents. Um, uh, but eventually his, he just can't handle it anymore. And I think he also may have, I mean, obviously just completely speculating, but it seems like based on the way the character was written and obviously in real life, he might've known what was coming and he just couldn't handle it. I mean this and the, the mom, Judy Davis as the mom tells the psychologist, like, no, this is like, this is some real stuff happening here. Like this is, this is gonna, this could end really badly. She warns, um, uh, S.E. Davis's character as well. Like, no, this, th there's a lot wrong here. Um, and no one really listens to them. No one takes them seriously. Uh, and, and then he has this just, yeah, obviously just, and, and eventually ends up, in his bizarre way, he also ends up getting a lot of money. He ends up getting over half a million dollars um, when Helen dies, uh, which is just a bizarre circumstance. And it le leads to a horrible situation where you have this person that's evil that now has basically unlimited money, unlimited resources to do his evil deeds with. And um, I, I don't know. So, okay, Menace, I have a question for you. Um, 
so in the States, we know this story as almost like, a, um, look what happens if you take guns away. But at the end of the movie, they said there's more guns in Australia now than bef- when, when before this happened. And I didn't know kind of what was the take kind of in Australia about, about guns and about kind of what this story did in regards to guns in Australia. Yeah, I think the main thing is that it's the type of guns they took away. So that, you know, they took away the semi-automatic uh, weapons and, and that was the big change. Uh, and, and look, yeah, I, I see guns very differently to Americans. So I, I think what happened was great. And, they, you know, the result of this is excellent. And I read that at the end as well, where it said there are more guns in Australia than there were before. But I, I, I think most of the automatic and semi-automatic weapons are gone. So I think that's a huge, huge thing to not have semi-automatics in the general public's um, possession. That's the constant debate here. Like after Newtown happened, um, a lot of people, myself included, I'm like, all right, well, that's, that's the end of that. They'll, they'll get rid of these, these weapons now. Uh, and they didn't. Um, and um, I, I'm not, I, I think we, you know, America is founded on the principle of having the right to bear arms. And I agree with that. I don't know if automatic weapons, I know there's some sort of, I'm not a huge gun guy. So I'm also not as well versed as maybe I, I should be to, you know, to be passing laws or, or dictating what laws should be passed. But I don't know. I, I think if you're able to do that much damage in that short of time, I don't know if that's something I, I, we, people need to have access to. Uh, so I, I, I would ideally not see automatic weapons in the hands of people here. Uh, but um, I don't know if that's going to change anytime soon in the States. Uh, now, what is Australia's opinion of like maybe like how it is in the states here you you've now seen us go through all of these shootings and they you know whether it be what happened in vegas or like what happened in newtown or you know uh, in colorado the dark knight rises shootings like you know what, what what how do you guys look at us after you've experienced the martin bryant stuff well firstly it was great work by our prime minister at the time john howard to use that shooting as an opportunity to clean up the gun laws and buy back all these weapons you know they always say never waste a crisis so uh, excellent um from him and then i just think americans are brainwashed and i don't blame you but you you grow up with this um you know the constitution and two of those things are you know free speech and the right to bear arms and you bang on about them at every opportunity I don't think people need guns, and I, I don't know if many Australians agree with me, but over here there's no fear of gun crime like there is in America. I don't think someone's just going to pull a gun out um, uh, if a situation escalates. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends. See, America and Australia is huge too. I mean, Australia is a giant country. It's almost what, it's almost the size of America, right? Like by square mileage. Mm. Like it's a giant country. Yeah, and if you own a and if you own a farm, you, you've got guns. Like, there's no problem. There's so many people who need guns in Australia because of our insane wildlife. So that's great. But if you live in Sydney, Melbourne, what do you need a gun for? What What do you need a gun for? Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of the debate we have here. Like in New York, the gun laws in New York City are incredibly strict. But then, obviously, in other cities, it's not the case. Um, and in the more rural areas, obviously, it's much more relaxed. Like in New Hampshire. Um, where I live, it's, it's very relaxed, but we also don't have a huge population. And I mean, I guess to the gun, you know, to the gun advocate, uh, New Hampshire is one of the safest States in the country and has one of the most lax gun laws. So, uh, but you know, you know, it only takes one shooting, like one mass shooting like this though, to, to, you know, change those numbers pretty quick too, though. What about the scene in Nitram where he's buying the guns in the shop and he's, it's just like that they were just happy to take his cash 
And I guess one thing that um, you should uh, keep in mind when you watch it is 500 or half a million Australian dollars in 1996 in Tasmania is like $5 million now. He was loaded and they just wanted to take his money. They didn't care what he was going to do with these guns. They were like, he have free ammo. It, it's And can you imagine watching that knowing the ending? Like, because I, I knew what the ending was you just my skin was crawling so often during this film and you know there were so many bits that just made you uncomfortable when martin was like losing his mind and beating up his dad and stuff and it was just a chilling film it really was there's a scene uh, near the end of the movie when he's on he's looking at his dining room table and it's just the whole it's a giant table and it's just filled with different kind of guns and bullets and and everything he would need to commit these attacks and i am i will say uh they all the violence is off screen um they show him pull out a gun and then it cuts to uh his mother just watching the tv broadcast about it so you don't see it but the performances and the way this is written and directed you don't need to see it to have this pack a punch so it's really effective to be able to make this so chilling and so so horrifying but yet not have to show anyone get shot um and that's a tribute once again to the director it's funny this guy directed uh Assassin's Creed, which is a movie I've never seen, but it's kind of a, uh, what's a lot of critics consider to be not a great action movie. I think it's based on a video game. Um, I know he also directed Macbeth, um, but this is, so, like, this movie is so effective. Like, I'm going to go see his next movie no matter what it is. And uh, and Caleb Landry Jones, I think he won Best Actor, was it at, at Cannes, um, mm. for his performance? Uh, he, yeah, at Cannes, he won... Um, he also won the, uh, what, I'm sorry, man, you might know this better than I do. AACTA, is that like your Oscars? Yeah, that's our Oscars, yeah. So had you seen this not movie? Not, not nearly as prestigious. No, but um, no, but I mean, still. Uh, now, now, you said you hadn't seen this movie yet, but had you heard about it? Like, is this getting a lot of buzz in Australia? I, I, this is getting no buzz here. It's not getting a lot of buzz, but then I hadn't sort of gone looking for it. And uh, so, yeah, I hadn't heard of it, but it was pretty easy to stream. And, um, yeah, so once I, once I dug into it, there was quite a bit of press about it. Um, and, I look, I have to say, just I just have to put this out there, you know. I have to – your – you and Kirk have reinvigorated my love for movies. So despite my criticisms of this show, still you, you've made one guy get back into the movie. So you can take that to, to bed with you. I will. If I can, if I can change one life, then I've done a good job. And I'm, I'm glad, I'm you glad you're enjoying film it. again, Manners. And I'm, I'm, even though, uh, you know, you're always difficult to deal with, I, I enjoy you coming on because I do know how uh, well-versed you are with Australia, but you can also speak to these topics pretty well. This is a pretty heavy duty one. This, this was going to be some heavy lifting on this one. So I definitely appreciate you coming on for sure. Um, any other last takes before I let you go here on, on anything? So, oh, I'm sorry. So I'm giving Vertigo a B. I, I, I'm giving this movie, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't even know how to review this, honestly. I, I think I almost have to give it an A minus, um, but it's one of the, it was not a joy to watch, but I mean, how do you not recommend this movie is so well done? I, I don't know. This is tough for me. How about you? How do you, where do you sit with these movies grade wise? Well, Vertigo is an A minus and that's all because of its influence on movie history. And then um, I'm giving Night Tram an A, a solid A because it was so effective. And the fact that your skin was crawling while watching it, but you didn't turn it off. I still wanted to keep watching it. I think the director deserves, deserves a lot of credit and the performances 
right across this movie are worth seeing the film for. If you are on the fence about this one, go and see it because I think if you're a bit twisted and a minute fan, you'll love it. I think it is available on AMC Plus. I think they they have the distribute distribution rights here in America. So if that's the case, then I think you might be able to even get it on like Prime Video. You might be able to find it. You might have to pay a certain amount. But I think I think it is at least available for streaming. Um, and like Menor said, if this topic interests you at all, this is you have to see this movie because I don't know too many you know real life tragedy films that are more effective. Maybe like United ninety three is on that short list of like yeah. movies that have like horrible real life events. That is also just incredibly well crafted pieces of work that people uh, shouldn't miss. And Manners, you host the show, uh, Men of Fandom. Um, what do you got coming up this week? Oh, I'm, I'm catching up with Red. Um, we're chatting about all things Minahan world. Um, yeah, look, look, lots happening in Minna Fandom. Um, the other thing is on Nitram, there's a full account of what Martin Bryant did on the net. Uh, Wikipedia's got a pretty good one, but there's other websites. I would suggest once you've watched the film, read what he did because it is harrowing and it was one of the most shocking days in Australian history. I mean, we're a, a, a sweet little country with nice people and then some insane guy shoots almost 40 people. It was uh, it was just disgusting and it, the, the nation changed after that day. So when you've watched the film, read the account. Yes, yeah, subscribe to Minna Fandom, subscribe to Fairground Fuck Ups, my true crime podcast. Thanks for having me, Chris. Thank you, Menace. I'll be back on, you're hearing this on Tuesday. I'll be back on Thursday with uh, more of my New Orleans experience. I will talk to you folks then.